Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, the sky. Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm going to have a brother? I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Tony, what's going on? Not much. I can see you right now. I can see you. We are remarkably close, actually. I know. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Where are we, Jesse? So here's the beauty of this. First, we're in person. Woot. And I can... I can already feel the chemistry. Can you feel it? <laughs> yeah, I, it's apparently yeah. we're not even as cohesive in person as we are over the internet. I really hope this is going to translate into podcast. I have high hopes. But so when we're in person, which is fantastic. Second thing is we are recording this, and it's great already. We are recording this in a church sanctuary. What yes, is that, is that the right? It sort of used to be a sanctuary, and now it got sanctioned off as a room. <laughs> That's a multi-purpose room. Yes. Sorry, the sanctuary pun. Was that a pun? Sanctuary to sanctioned? Maybe. It's possible. Yeah, it's double separated. (laughs) It's It's the separated of separated. Did you just describe the Holy of Holies? I might have. So we are sitting here at a folding table in the uh, multi-purpose room in uh, the church that you heard about in our very first episode, which is back the, to the beginning, the building that Jesse grew up in and the building that I now live in. And we tried to set it up to have multiple microphones so we could actually face each other. But instead, we are using a single microphone and we are sitting on the same side of the table like uh, like. I don't know, like prom dates who are just really into each other. <laughs> Actually, what I just realized, it's basically our logo. If you look it at is. the logo. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what's happening right now. That's so, perfect. So any awkwardness you might perceive is absolutely real. We did, we did not put that in post-production. We are going to do a moment here to do a live selfie that we will use as the as the intro here. Oh, yeah. This is great. This is perfect. This is great. So go to the website. Check this out. It, yes. it just happened. It just happened. Yeah. So, Jesse, <laughs> other than describing the physical arrangement of our podcast tonight, what are we talking about? So here's something that I want to talk about in person. It sounds like it was getting really real there. <laughs> something I've been thinking about a lot lately is Jesus the superhero. Do you, yes. you know where I'm going with that when I say that? I do. So, like, we're talking about the new Spider-Man movie, right? That's exactly where I wanted to go with this. Have you seen that? I have not. I was planning on going to see it tomorrow, but that plan got canceled. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. Well, actually, that is kind of apropos because superhero movies are like a dime a dozen. You're more experienced in that than I am. But it's that same kind of genre, the sense that I've noticed in my own life, as I've kind of grown in the Reformed tradition particularly, is I realized I had this huge blind spot that most of the time when I was reading the Bible or considering the work of Christ, a lot of times I was thinking of him as superhero, as if he's he is human, but then he can kind of at will take on divinity or kick into divinity drive, whatever that means. 
and and act in that way. And I don't know if you've ever encountered that before. I have. Yeah, I think that's kind of like once people start to get their head around the incarnation um, and they start to realize that Jesus is really human, they have to wrestle with the way that we see Jesus behaving in the Gospels. And so they kind of right. that's sort of like the default explanation, like he's a human and he walks around and he, he acts like a human. But when he really needs to, he can kind of like whip on the superpowers just like Clark Kent yes. does. Yeah. And that superpower is the person of God. That yeah. is, he's he's actually just going into divine mode and all the miracles, everything you see, that is divine Jesus. And it's not like we would say, well, when he's acting as humanity, he's less divine, but he's just not taking on those divine traits. Right. Yeah, and that's actually, there's a lot of, um, I would say, sloppy theologians who actually argue that way. So like William Lane Craig will argue that um, Jesus is like an iceberg. So there's like the human part that's above the surface that you see, and there's like an infinitely greater amount of Jesus below the surface that you don't see, which is like straight up. sink ships. Yeah, it's straight up. Yeah, it's like kills uh, Leo DiCaprio. But that's like straight up um, monothelitism, which is like. Christ has a single nature, um, which is obviously not okay. Right. So, and this is where I, I thought it'd be helpful to have a conversation because I realized the more I started to kind of try to understand this, that I was kind of like falling off the path in one direction or another. And so I was kind of, I thought it'd be good to like, let's conceptualize how we talk about this and maybe go to the catechism, go to the scriptures and look at practical examples. So you have anything from the catechism that might be helpful. I mean, I know you do because again, we're sitting six inches from each other. It's so. true. Yeah. And it took us like 15 minutes ahead of time to figure it out. So I'm going to read from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, it's question 39. I don't know. I'm, it's on my iPad, so I don't know why I'm looking at it when I can just hold it. Um, and it says, question 39, why was it requisite that the mediator should be man? So to translate that, the question is just saying, why did Christ have to become a human? Um, and the answer is, it was requisite that our mediator should be man that he might advance our nature, perform obedience to the law, suffer and make intercession for us in our nature, have a fellow feeling of our infirmities, that we might receive the adoption of sons and have comfort and access with boldness to the throne of grace. So what that's saying is um, he needs to be man because he might advance our nature. So he actually takes human nature and by incarnating as human, he takes nature our human nature to kind of like the next level. Right. So he brings it to where Adam would have been had he not uh, fallen. He fulfills the obligations of the law. He makes intercession for us as one of us. That's really important. And then to have a fellow feeling of our infirmities. And I think that clause is where we're going to spend most of our time. And so that just means like he can sympathize, which is, you know, straight out of Hebrews too. He had to become like his brothers in all ways in order to become our high priest. And that's where it gets tricky because I identify with that language is beautiful. Like the the feeling of our infirmities, like coming alongside and actually having in depth, not like giving intellectual assent, but actual experiential familiarity with what we experience in life. But if that's true, if he's truly human and we're talking about like full human, entire essence, everything in the sense that everything that is human, Jesus is well acquainted with. Right. without taking the edge off in some way. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So, so if that's true, then we do have to wrestle with, well, how is he doing this other stuff? Is he just kicking over into the superhero God mode? Yeah. So like I remember uh, I used to watch the show Smallville. Did you ever watch Smallville? I'm only vague. It's Superman? Yeah, it's Superman, sort of. <laughs> but yeah, it's Superman. And um, I remember watching this episode where he wanted to play football. And his dad was like, you're going to kill somebody. Right. And he's right. like, no, I'll, I'll just take the fall. 
But then there's a scene where like he needs to somehow he needs to run off the field quick to stop somebody from killing someone else and then run back onto the field. So he's in the midst of taking a fall as a human. He then turns on his superpowers, runs off the field, saves the person, runs back faster than anyone can even see him leave. And so that's the way that a lot of people think of Jesus. They're like, well, he's sleeping on the boat in the storm and he's tired and so he's asleep. And then the disciples wake him up and he's like, well, I better turn on my superpowers because I got to calm this storm. That's actually a really good parallel. Right. I, I think, and even sometimes we don't do that wittingly. We just consider when we get to that text, well, he is God. Right. So this is him being God. Right. Yeah. And, and I would say, um, you know, like I said, there are some theologians who, who argue that way, but more often than not, that's sort of a result of someone who isn't, isn't fully trained on the subject or hasn't thought, hasn't either been catechized well on it or hasn't thought through the subject all the way. Um, and it's sort of like the, like I said earlier, the first instinct that we have to yes. try to resolve the issue. Instinct is right. So what are like some of the, the pitfalls when we do that? What are some of the outworkings that can be dangerous? Uh, well, our salvation is meaningless and, uh, we all, <laughs> we just went right there. Yeah. So the, the, um, in the fourth century, 381, there was a uh, theologian named Apollinarius. We've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. Apollinarius before, and he argued roughly speaking that Christ didn't have a human mind, but instead the logos or the, the divine per- second person, the Trinity took the place of the rational soul. Right. Um, you can read about this in William Lane Craig's uh, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, where he proposes his model as just Apollinarianism. Um, so take everything he says and ignore it, because that's heresy. And what, what that does is it leaves a part of Jesus who's not human. And the Cappadocian father said, well, what Christ does not assume, he cannot heal. Yes, that's what Rel said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we, if we have a Christ who's not fully human, because at, at any point he had to turn off his humanness and turn on his super, you know, superhumanness, then uh, what we've got is someone who's basically not like us at all. Right, exactly. That's the bottom line. Right. So if I want to, you know, if I'm walking down the street and someone jumps out with a gun and shoots at me, I can't freeze time and stop the bullet and get out of the way. Right. Right. I'm going to get shot and I'm going to die because that's what humans do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, like if Jesus can just, oh, this storm is really inconvenient right now. So I'm going to just tell it to stop. And, you know, that's that. Well, that's not something a normal human can do in their right. own power. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it's important that we consider that because you're exactly right. Like what is it? What is the point of having a savior who cannot save you because he's not exactly like you? Exactly. It, and like what you said, like we said before about elevating the human nature to an extent that is, you know, kind of the post-resurrection Christ, the, the glorification. But that can only happen if we have one that is actually right. like us. So that's in every way, which blows my mind to think about. I mean, we, we still haven't yet reconciled, well, how are we seeing these these other miracles or the divinity of, of God it, through Christ? But we are saying that the starting point should be that he is 100% man, not just in kind of a placating right. cliche way. Like, yeah, he looked like us and he hung out. But exactly that, like if he was going to stub his toe, he stubbed his toe. He didn't prevent it from happening or the pain dissipating in such a way that would not be would be outside the the bounds of human experience. Well, yeah. And even to take a step further than that, not only if we want to get real technical, not only did he not stop it from happening, he didn't know it was going to happen and he couldn't have stopped it with him. Yes. And there's you know, we, we go back and listen to our Christology section because some of those kinds of how does that work? We're going to assume you've already listened to that. But when Christ takes on a human nature, he operates on two levels now. 
He operates as God as he always has with all of his prerogatives and capabilities and faculties. But then he also sort of takes on this second role where he's limited and he is genuinely limited. Yes. And that extends to his knowledge, extends to the fact that he can only be in one place at one time. And the way we talk about that is we say he operates according to divinity or according to humanity. I just realized the best part of this is that Jesse can actually see <laughs> all of the hand motions that I do on a weekly basis. They that are glorious. Can. And so we say that Christ operates according to humanity or according to divinity. And that's a way of saying more or less that this is how he behaves as God and this is how he behaves as a man. And some of that is just carrying forward like the scandal of particularity. Right. That, of course, if God was going to incarnate or enflesh himself, he'd have to be one person, one place, one time. Right. So there's amazing. This leads me even now as we're talking about it to some serious doxology in the sense that this is amazing condescension and not just physical condescension or wrapping yourself up in limitation. But I think like we said before, thinking of like probabilities, like it amazes me, like the God of the universe who understands all probabilities, puts them into play, is also Jesus Christ, the son who withholds that knowledge from himself. So right. he gets into the boat, trusting in the father. Right. That That is the way that he should go. But I don't think he's thinking at the time, well, I know what's about to happen or t- take place. Yeah. And this is where, you know, I've said it before, when we're talking about theology, there's always a point where you have to play your mystery card. And part of the art of theology is knowing where to place your mystery card. And for this, this is where we put it. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we we can say that at the same time, but in a different way, Christ knows the storm's coming. Right. But also doesn't know the storm's coming. Right. And I, I don't, I mean, I have had some ideas on how to sort of resolve that. But at the end of the day... It's true that Christ knew the storm was coming, but it's also true that Christ didn't know the storm was coming. Right. Now, how how Christ's knowledge interacted with itself, like how his human knowledge and his divine knowledge interact with itself, I don't know. And I don't think the scripture really tells us a lot about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's more important probably for us to to consider what the scripture does actually make plain and clear. Right. And that is he was he was like us. Like I think you're referencing from Hebrews. Right. Right. Yep. And that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, so let me pull that up and we'll just read the passage so I don't butcher it. Um, And uh, let me start with Hebrews 2 verse 14. says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I mean, this is tongue in cheek, but it just struck me as we were basically reading this together (laughs) because we were so close right now <laughs> that you know you know the tongue-in-cheek thing said about humanity is that the only thing certain is death and taxes and yeah. just hearing that may remind me that jesus did both yeah it's true <laughs> which sounds funny but it, really that is the starting point we're talking about a real human experience but i know that we're quick to admit that but when we admit that but then hold aside the sensibility that again when it comes to miraculous work we just think that is the the person of God suddenly being displayed in right. Jesus, that we actually go in a wrong direction, even though we're, we're trying to be really good and careful. Right. 
right? Yeah, and it's so easy to get tripped up in this. It is I mean, really easy. You can you can be trying really hard and you can think that you're right on track and all of a sudden, you know, it's like it's like if you're um, flying a plane. I've never flown a plane. But it's like if you're then flying do tell. Yeah, if you're flying a plane, you know, and you get 1 degree off yes. on your trajectory. Well, if you're only going, you know, a mile, that's probably not that big of a deal. Um, although I think if I'm doing the math right, which I'm probably not, you're probably a mile off course. Right. But if you're going 500 miles, then you're 500 miles off course right. from a one degree variation, which doesn't seem like a big deal at the beginning, but you get off track and you're way off track. Right. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's talk then about, let's use a specific example, which one we've already started talking about. This whole idea of Jesus calming the storm. So when we, when we hear that, what's a right way to interpret the fact or marry up the two that we've just talked about, Jesus being entirely human, talked about the mystery of kind of the, the two senses of knowledge, at least for him. By the way, has anybody actually made a theological mystery card? And should we do that? So like when you're having a discussion with somebody, you can just be like, theological yeah. mystery card. I feel like that is something that Mission Aware should get on right now. over. Yep, Mission Aware should make a theological mystery card. We love you, Mission Aware. We do love you. We wish that we had some sort of sponsorship or <laughs> coupon code or something that we could give to all of our listeners and drive some business to your channel. This is a subtle hint that's helping nobody that's actually listening to this. I digress, um, though. So do I. So when we think about that particular instance, uh, or like Christ's a sense of knowledge, you know, and the scriptures say about him perceiving the thoughts. Right. So what would you say to somebody that was like, well, how do I marry up those two? You're saying he's yeah. fully human, totally doesn't, doesn't know all those things, or at least holding that knowledge in abeyance. Right. How do we reconcile? Well, the first thing I would say is, I mean, even saying like Christ is holding his own knowledge in abeyance doesn't work, right? Even there, we're already right. past where we're at because he's not he doesn't have that knowledge. Right. True. Right. So if you think about it like two brains, this is a crass way to think about it or two hard drives. Right. So Christ is knowledge is two hard drives. And one of those hard drives contains all of the knowledge of everything. Right. The other one only contains partial knowledge. So it would be like saying, well, his one hard drive is withholding information from the other. one. Well, that's not really the case. It's the one hard drive, which is a human hard drive. Right. Um, <laughs> that a has look. a limited amount of data on it. Yes. And it's a smaller subset of the data that's on the other drive, but they don't overlap. Right. It's true. not like the one drive is like a, a partition on the other drive or anything like that. So what we, we have to remember that although Christ is one person, um, there's a, something that's called the Chalcedonium Maxim. And the idea is that everything that comes from the person, there's one of. And everything that comes from the nature, there's two of. Mm -hmm. So now understanding and explaining what comes from nature, what comes from person, that's something theologians and philosophers debate. Right. That's a wrestle. But most of the things are pretty straightforward. So like um, action, right? Mm -hmm. Christ is a single person who takes a single action. Now he might take a single action in two different ways, but even you and I can do that. Right. True. But then you talk about like knowledge. Well, there's a divine way of knowing. There's a human way of knowing. So that comes from the nature. So when we're, we're talking about specific examples, we have to look at it and say, well, if, if, we, if our explanation somehow makes Christ not fully human, um, another way to look at it more or less might be to say, could I do that with God's help? Right. So we'll take the, we'll take the straightforward example. Yes. Like walking on water, right? Jesus comes up, the disciples are freaking out because they think he's a ghost. 
Well, we want to look at that and we say, well, of course he can walk on water. He's God. Right, exactly. But then what happens like three verses later? Right, exactly. Peter, Peter walks, walks on, on water. water. Yeah. Right? So we, we can't say that Christ walked on water because he's God. Mm-hmm. Because if only God can do that, well, then what do we do with Peter? Right. So how do you think we resolve that? I mean, we've talked about this, so it's not a totally spontaneous question. <laughs> but how do, how do you think, I mean, how do we come at that a well, little bit? And this is where my appreciation for the work of the Holy Spirit has been growing. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit manifested through Jesus Christ because he's exemplifying what it means for a human to be that closely connected through the Spirit. Right. Yeah, so we see things like Jesus walking on water. And the next question, um, and this is something, honestly, I wrestle with, is the the text, especially in Mark, the disciples say, well, what manner of man is this? Right. And it's a rhetorical question that they're asking. Well, they're not asking it. But Mark, as the narrator who's recounting this, is asking this rhetorical question through the apostles. Um, in order for you to answer, he's not an ordinary man. Right, exactly. Um, now, you, there's all sorts of stuff about like, well, how developed was the Christology of Mark versus the Christology of John and stuff. And all that's legitimate conversations. Um, obviously, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but, mm-hmm. you know, progressive revelation, disclaimer, I'm not a text critical person or anything like that. But um, what we have to say is Mark's Christology has to be true, even if it's incomplete. Right. And so... Um, obviously, uh, Mark is trying to get you to say something that Christ is somehow more than a mere man. Mm-hmm. Um, the apostles didn't know it at the time, but Mark did when he was writing it, and Peter did as he was kind of narrating this to Mark. And so Mark says that, and we think, well, he's not hes not just a mere man. He's God. He's God, right. Which is true, but we have to be cautious because yes. if we've invalidated Christ's humanity in the text, then we are interpreting it wrong. Right. And that's where, to your point, it gets really tricky, both tricky in the expression through language, but also maybe a good exercise for this is when you're interpreting that, when you're thinking through some of those things is like you said, is if you're hitting same example, kind of, but different applications or different uh, kind of uh, comparison, if you're about to go out and like slug a golf ball, if you're slightly off in one degree, it's going to cause the ball to move, you know, way far off the course. So it's probably helpful to think about the outworkings of what you're doing. And if you get to a point where you're like, this makes Jesus not entirely human, then we've definitely right. gone too far. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things I actually, as we were talking about this earlier, kind of getting ready for the episode, I kind of came to the realization, you know, I've been thinking through like, well, how, how do we how do we resolve this? And there's the element of the spirit. Um, but one of the concerns is that... Um, People coming out of like Bethel Redding or IHOP in Kansas, not the Pancakes House of Prayer. <laughs> the pancakes um, are delicious. Pancakes though. are delicious. Um, I bet Jesus would love some pancakes. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's sacrilegious. No, I feel Who like that would love been pancakes? part of his humanity is yeah. to love some pancakes. What would they be in ancient Israel? Like, I have no idea. I don't know. Do they have syrup? I'm sure they had something. No. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But some of the teaching come out, coming out of these sort of ultra-charismatic circles, um, Mike Bickle out in um, IHOP or some of the people in Bethel Redding, um, some of the really charismatic people will say that Jesus did miracles by the power of the Spirit. And therefore, you also can do these miracles by the power of the Spirit. And now, like most, and I'm going to say it, I don't, I don't want to speak for Jesse because I don't know if he would go there with me. He can confirm it. But like most cults, right, like most cultish yeah. situations, they take an element of truth and they exaggerate it or twist it. Right. And so I've always kind of wrestled with, well, that's true. What he's saying is true. 
And it's true that uh, sometimes heretics get things right. Right. So maybe he just got it right and he's abusing the truth. Right. But actually, I, I talking to you earlier, I came to the conclusion that Jesus has the Holy Spirit beyond measure, yes. which can't be said of any human that's currently yes. alive on earth. So even if we acknowledge, like they're saying, that we can do miracles by the power of the Spirit, um, by the way, I'm, I'm a cessationist if you're freaking out. <laughs> but even if we acknowledge that we can do powers by the Spirit, miracles by the Spirit, the way that Jesus did, there's still a difference between how Jesus is united yes. with the Spirit and how we are. And I think that accounts for um, a lot of those discrepancies. Yes. That's the piece that unifies them for right. me. Exactly. So you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Right. And I think when you take one aspect like you're talking about and just blow it up, that becomes the problem. So that for me has been like the unifying or reconciling piece is that, yes, we do have the same spirit. That should be of immense encouragement. So we're not just talking about like getting plugged into more power so we can perform our own personal agendas. This is the person of God in us. Right. And that should cause us to get fired up. At the same time, we're wrong if we think we have like the unbridled or fully scoped version, so to speak, that Jesus had. And that's what makes him God. Right. Exactly. And that's that's why when we look at the miracles in uh, the the New Testament, there seems to be a different character. There seems to be an acknowledgement that when Jesus heals somebody, it's different than when someone else heals. Yes. When Jesus and and it's important to remember none of the miracles that Jesus does in the New Testament are not miracles that were done by someone else. With the exception, I think, of healing a blind person. I don't think yeah, anybody in call. that. And they make a big deal out of that. And I don't I don't know that yeah. it's like... Although like that could have been in, encapsulated within Paul's ministry. It's hard to tell. And he's fr- yeah. healing lots of infirmities and like his shadow and... Yeah, but at the time of Jesus healing a blind person, yes. they say true. nothing like this has ever happened. That's true. But with that exception, and, and healing a blind person doesn't seem like in the scheme, you know, in the scope of... Um, calming the storm, healing the blind person, and raising the dead. It doesn't seem like that would be like the, the major one, the, right? Like the extreme end of the yeah. spectrum. But apparently, it was really surprising. Um, but none of the other miracles that Jesus did are utterly unique, right? Mm-hmm. So Elisha, Elisha, Sha, Elisha raised someone from the dead. True. Um, although people were equally impressed by the fact that he made an axe head float. <laughs> so like. I, I guess like a miracle is a miracle on some when you level. Say it like that, it's really funny for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like sometimes people seem to be more impressed with the miracles that I would think are kind of minor. I mean, but if you've ever borrowed something from somebody and then yeah. either had the threat of it being lost or destroyed, that's got to be plus like water and axe yeah. head. I mean, you're really thinking that's totally lost. So it's gone for that to be floating. I mean, it's super. I mean, if you saw that in a magic show, you'd be like, yeah, that's true. That's pretty cool. That's true. But even more so if it was like actually happening. I would like life. to see that in a magic show. Someone's probably done like Penn and Teller like floating axe head. Maybe not like Penn and Teller. They're kind of big Nates, but like <laughs> that's true. Um, maybe like a magician Giant who's not a Nate. Yeah. But, but the point is that the things that Jesus does in the New Testament um, are not unique in the sense that he's the only person who's ever performed such a miracle. Right. And, but nevertheless, when people see it in the New Testament, they're still amazed in such a way that, 
granted, most of these people have never seen a miracle, mm-hmm. but they still seem to sense that there's something different about the way Christ is doing miracles True. compared to the stories they've heard about Elijah doing miracles or other wonder workers that they've had exposure to. There were lots of sort of like traveling healers that right. we seem to th- seem to be doing genuine miracles. I don't really know exactly how to explain that, but seem to be doing genuine miracles. But something about Christ is different. And the realization I had is that even you take an Old Testament prophet, who has miraculous knowledge, they can do miraculous things. Um, you know, Elijah out sprints a chariot, right? Pretty amazing stuff. Um, but that's with sort of a partial or incomplete unity with the spirit, mm-hmm. a, a unity with the Holy spirit that's still tainted by sin. Right. Um, that is still this side of glory. And then we have Jesus who has a unity with the spirit that is without measure. Right. That is the other side of glory. That's not tainted by sin. Right. Yeah, there's definitely enough there where, like you said, people perceive that there's something different. But it is no wonder then that a lot of times when people are just perceiving Jesus' ministry or they're talking about him, they refer to him as a prophet because right. he's very prophet-like. He's doing right. those same things. But I don't know whether it is the that measure of the Holy Spirit we're talking about. Um, but one of the things that's, that you read that's really different is just the full volume of the miracles. So when he's coming and healing everybody of their right. sickness, um, that is crazy. So, so that's been really helpful for me is to understand that he is setting a new precedent, but he's actually doing it in really familiar ways. So he's, right. he's pulling out like the the prophet calling card and being right. like, you're familiar with this. You know what it looks like. You know what these guys have done in the past. And here I am, and I'm combining that with teaching and with works and with other things altogether. And, but that's demonstrating something different. But I'm still like you, right. which is why I appreciate, I love that the way the Holy Spirit delivered to Mark that narrative is by saying, what manner of man is this? Exactly. So there's still emphasis that this is a man. And it, that that is partially what is freaking them out. But they're also recognizing that there's something way beyond here. But they just were just like, is this God? Right. That's a totally different question. And then what manner of man is this? Yeah. And sometimes Jesus even seems a little surprised that they're surprised. Yeah, right? that's So true. the calling yeah. of um, the, the initial disciples is Andrew. Mm-hmm. So Andrew, um, Peter, you know, people are getting called. Peter comes. Or is it? I don't know. One of the apostles come. <laughs> Peter and Andrew, right? Yeah, I think it's Peter and Andrew. Peter, Peter gets called and he comes to Andrew. Andrew? Nathaniel? <laughs> whoever. And he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. That's Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel. Yeah. It Nathaniel. doesn't matter. Live podcast. At like liver than live podcasting tonight. <laughs> um, he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And the this apostle whose name we can't seem to land on says, is like, oh Nathaniel, my goodness. Pretty sure. Right. He's like, my you're you're a prophet unlike anything we've ever seen. And Jesus is like, wait, because I said I saw you when you were under right. the fig tree. He's almost like shocked that they're surprised. And there is an element that prophetic activity had basically stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, other than now John the Baptist, the rest of prophetic activity had stopped. And so there's a surprise to that. But there's never a point where where someone goes, well, he must only be like sort of human. Right. It's always it, they're always stunned by the fact that this is a man doing it. It's a human doing it. Right. Um, at no point they're like, well, you know, he must be, he must only seem to be man. Yeah. It strikes me that even in that circumstance, I wonder if that is the miraculous work of God in their lives, disciples' lives to recognize that still, that they're not just overriding that here is a divine entity because that would have been common in that culture. Right. Because maybe not their culture per se, but certainly in like the Roman culture, just assume like, well, here's a God in flesh. Certainly Paul has that problem elsewhere when he's doing his 
missionary travels. So it's just interesting to me that here we have the miraculous grace of God by giving them the recognition that this person is just like this person, even to say that those words is just like me. And it's not just because like he's a dude and he has a body. There's something even more there that they're recognizing. Yeah. It's crazy. But I think this is like moving us. I mean, you and I in this collective really close sense that we're in right now, but also like hopefully generally speaking us as Christians in a direction that's more healthy and more mature to think this way. It also, I think is a really good springboard into understanding the role of the spirit because for all this talk, which is sometimes misplaced and sometimes not about the Holy spirit being like the neglected part of the Trinity, this keeps him front and center exactly, so that we understand that whether we're talking about, Jesus being tempted or Jesus being in the boat or Jesus walking on the water. This is happening where the Trinity of God is, is involved in all the works of God. And here we see the Holy Spirit's power being displayed in Jesus Christ in its fullness without removing the fact that he's about to take on all of our infirmities in their completeness right. without jumping into like the Smallville superhero role. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly it is that, you know, I, I've mentioned it before that like when I was a younger Christian, I kind of understand that like, all right, well, Jesus is here to do the father's will. And so he does it. Okay. And, and that's fine. That's good and correct. But what about the spirit? And in my mind, it was always like, well, the spirit is, I guess the spirit just kind of comes along yeah, after Pentecost. Hanging out. Right. The spirit's hanging out and then he comes along after Pentecost. But in reality, the, the son comes to do the father's will and the father sends the son mm-hmm. and the spirit accomplishes those things by empowering the son. Right. And so rather than see, well, there's this ministry of Jesus and the, and the father on earth during Christ's time on earth. And then there's the ministry of the Holy spirit. Instead, we have the ministry of the Holy spirit all throughout starting in creation, going all through the old Testament era with the prophets. And then in Christ, the Supreme prophet, and then in his people as Christ returns, yeah, preparing a body. Right. So we have a whole, um, I wonder what chapter you just read in. my <laughs> Um, we have a whole consistent, um, thoroughgoing pneumatology now that is all throughout the yes. history of God's people. Very consistent. And and now we also have a consistent Christology that doesn't result in sometimes Jesus is a little bit less than human. Right. Like that's a big problem if we have yes. any point where Jesus is less than human. Because as we said, whatever he doesn't assume, he cannot heal. So if he didn't assume our infirmities... If he didn't assume, to kind of put it crassly, our stubbed toeness or our stubbed toe ability nature, right? Then he couldn't redeem that, which means we could still stub our toes in right. the eschaton. I don't right. want to stub my toe. No, exactly, exactly. And that's kind of like a humorous example. But if Christ could have just come off the cross whenever he wanted to, in his own power, right? Even even when you look at the way he says that. You know, he's in the garden. Peter's cutting off people's ears. And he sa- he doesn't just, say... Just one guy. Whatever. He doesn't say... <laughs> one guy that we know of. It's Peter. He could have been cutting people's ears off all over the place. Uh, he doesn't say, don't you know that I could put an end to this? Right. What does he say? Don't you know I could call on my father right. and my father could send a legion of angels? Right. Well, there's some hope in that because ultimately by the spirit, we can say, don't you know that I can call on my father? I can cast my cares on him and he cares for me. Right. That's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Man, we're having some church in this sanctuary right now. We're, we're doing church in the church. I love this. Yeah, because one second of Jesus' life where he fails to be human is one second that we're not covered essentially exactly. by that healing. So 
it's almost like an insurance policy. It's like saying, well, these things are covered for sure, but these things are a little bit left out in the open. And it is important. So we're not talking about, I mean, some of this stuff is big and heady and it's important to think through and choose your words really carefully, which I certainly have not done during this conversation. But (laughs) nonetheless, what we're also saying is there's like amazing practical ramifications for this. Right. And we need to understand it uh, properly because I think, at least for me, let me speak for myself, my default mode is if I don't put this kind of thinking front and center, I am liable to fall into the rut that says, well, Jesus is just exercising pure unbridled divinity. Right. And it struck me as I was listening to you that this is about limitation, that what we're saying is we are limited by our sin nature in default to not have this full kind of scope and connection with the Holy Spirit but Christ was not. So that makes him God. Right. That definitely makes him God. But the fact that he is just like us definitely makes him human. Right. And we need to be careful to draw the distinction. But it's nuanced. But, man, it's actually really freeing because it, it, when you read with those eyes, the scriptures, and you understand all the things you just said, it really opens up into a wonderful kind of glowing experience with understanding that. Like yeah. it, we don't need to – I think some of us are, are can be fearful – that Jesus is walking on water and demonstrating that he's not as much like me at times as I thought he would be. Yeah, or or we flip to the other side. So here's a funny story. It's a true story. I was um, probably 17 years old, right? So I was a relatively new Christian, and I was walking home from school. And I lived in Minnesota, and, you know, the motto is land of 10,000 lakes. But in reality, it's closer to 12,000 lakes. Can I just interrupt the story real quick? Sure. I, I was gonna bring. The, I was not gonna bring this up, but now I'm going to. You just said in like the last like the sermon that you just delivered like like 30 seconds ago. Go back and listen to this. Tony said like, "Don't you know?" <laughs> like seven oh, times. Oh yeah, you betcha. Seven, seven times in the course of that passage nice. of like the "Don't you know?" Sorry, go ahead. You're in Minnesota. Right. So I'm walking home from school mm-hmm. and I'm late. I'm running late, and there's a there's a lake in my way, and it's I don't know. It's probably like late March, so it's not it's not frozen over anymore. Um, although late March, it could be frozen, but it wasn't. And so I'm I'm walking home and I say, well, I should be able to walk across this water. And so I decide I'm going to walk across this water. Seriously? Yeah. So I, I decide um, my faith is weak, so I better get a running start. And so no joke, I'm in all my school clothes. I've got my backpack this on with all my books and I get a running start and I just fell straight in the water. And so there's an element of we look at Jesus and we look at him walking on water mm-hmm. and we lose our high priest mm. because we say, I can't do that. Right. I can't do that. And Jesus could do that. And on one level, we lose our high priest because we've made him not human. Mm-hmm. But on another level, we've we've made him our we've lost our high priest in a more personal way because we've made him not like us. I can't right. walk on water. Right. And that's that's. Because I lack the unity and faith in the spirit to accomplish that, um, plus the knowledge that he's going to because providentially it's the right thing. But more fundamentally, I lack trust in the Holy Spirit and I lack unity with the Holy Spirit that enables me to do that. But there's hope. And that's the beauty part is that what Christ has done for us because he's our high priest, because he incarnated and entered into a new kind of relationship with the spirit, right? He had this natural relationship with the spirit in eternity past that never changes. But now he has this relationship with the spirit as a human that he then 
purchase for us and will give to us in the end. Right. So uh, although there is a real difference between Christ's experience of the Spirit and mine, there won't be. I will experience mm. the Holy Spirit and union with the Holy Spirit and union with the Father in the same way that Christ does according to humanity. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's something definitely I underestimate. I mean, that actually, that's awesome in the actual sense of the word, because if we make heaven all about the beatific vision, just seeing the face of God in Jesus Christ, without also thinking that by what Jesus did, he has made a way, paved a way for humanity in the eschaton to experience unity with God in the way that he has also experienced it. Right. How much better is that? It's not just about hanging out. Yeah. Like being being physically close. But it's about having a unity that defies all of that altogether, that defies even uh, physicality, space, understanding, intellectual ascent, experience, all that stuff. But it's just way better. I mean, that's the dude you want representing you, right? You yeah. want the high priest that's like, I am just like you, and yet I have a way in. I have access. And he even grants it to us now by way through prayer. Uh, but it strikes me that that's like super amazing. Yeah. I wish I had actually better words. Better words wanted to come out there. I know. But all that came out was just super amazing. There's because, no, there are no better yeah, words. Yeah, that's just straight doxology for me right now. Yeah. And I think, too, like another aspect of this that's really important is um, we talked a little bit. Did we? I don't know if we talked about it or not. But there's a term <laughs> called impeccability. Yeah. That Christ, Christ not only didn't sin, but he couldn't sin. Incapable. And that has to do with that single person, single action thing. Mm-hmm. Is that you can't have Christ acting in a way that he couldn't act according to divinity or according right. to humanity. Because if he sinned, then he sinned not only as human, but also as God. And God right. God just can't sin. He couldn't will to will what he didn't will. Right. And so he couldn't sin. But as a human, we also can attribute his ability not to sin to his full union with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so when we get to heaven, one of the questions that people ask is like, well, we'll be free. Will we be able to sin? Well, the answer to that is no, because we'll have a full union yes, with the Spirit exactly. who who preserves us in the faith now, despite our sin. Right. How much more will he preserve us in the faith and in obedience when we no longer have a sin nature to wrestle against? Right. The Holy Spirit is real people. Yes. I mean, that sounds ridiculous to say, but that, that's kind of where I'm driving at is, this limitation that Christ doesn't have makes him God, but it also gives us an immense amount of hope. I mean, if you've ever wanted to live like that, and we get kind of a taste of that here in the now. Um, so what's like your, this is slightly on topic. So <laughs> what what is like your favorite miracle of Christ? My like when, favorite miracle? Yeah, when like you think of it and you read it and you're just like, I love to read that account because it just is awesome. When he curses the fig tree, does that count? <laughs> I, uh, before I answer that, I just wanted to say, like, I expected this when we were going in. I expected this to be a Christology episode. Yeah. And it turned out to be a pneumatology episode. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah. And I think that goes to show that the doctrine of the Trinity, Christology, pneumatology, like, it's, we separate it into separate things because of how big of a subject it is. Right. But it's actually all one subject. Yes. Uh, my favorite miracle of Christ. That's I like a how tough you, one. I like how you there just worked that in. Before you were like, before I answer that question, which I already just did, let me I tell was you about mythology. That's not really my favorite. That was a sarcastic answer. Um, I don't know. What's yours? Let me think of it. All right. So while, while you're thinking, let me give you mine. I think mine is the almost like, I'm going to call this like the accidental miracle of the woman reaching yeah. out to touch Christ while he's on the way to actually do some healing. She just reaches out. I love that just for the sense of faith, but I also love that Jesus is like, 
power went out from me. And the disciples are like, are you serious right now? Like, yeah. everybody is touching you. Yeah, who touched And me? he's like, no, Everyone? no, no, no. Yeah, he's like, no, no, no. Something special right. just happened. There's something about that encounter and, and the woman kind of bowing before him that's also just for anybody that, that's felt helpless about healing this woman, like spending all her money. Yeah. Um, this idea that uh, medicine doesn't necessarily do the healing. It's God who does the healing sometimes through the medicine. Yeah. But I just love that account because it's kind of like almost anecdotal. By the way, He's yeah. on the way to do, like, you're kind of set up for, like, he's going to do this big thing. This woman's like, if I could just touch his garment. And who hasn't felt that way from some time? Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's healing or otherwise. If I could just reach out. Yeah. Now, I can't recommend this film in good conscience anymore, but there's a film called The Miracle Maker. Have you seen this? Oh, it's I've, like claymation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sounds really, um, really irreverent. Um, and I guess because of my convictions on the second commandment, it is irreverent. But in terms of movies, it's probably the least irreverent one that I've seen. And that scene, they they, they take a little bit of artistic license. But he's in this crowd and Jairus is saying, all right, come on, teacher. Come on. My right. daughter is sick. We've got to go. And, you know, how it says like before he got there, the people came to him yep. and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Right. And in this interpretation, the reason that he got delayed is this woman. The text doesn't mm, make that clear. Um, but I, I think this for me, the the miracles that are most amazing are the ones that are sort of that personal interaction. So mm. I think of like Peter's mother-in-law. Yeah. Right. So like Peter, Peter doesn't ask him to do that. He gets there and he's just kind of moved with compassion and heals her. Right. Um, Lazarus, I guess. And Lazarus has a real special connection to me because I preached the Lazarus text at my dad's funeral mm. about resurrection. Um, and there's something... Um, kind of visceral about that, that remembering that Christ is fully human. He has a full range of human emotions, obviously not corrupted or um, pushed by sin, but a full range of human emotions. And he makes the decision to know how much it was going to hurt these people for him to die, but he knows how much more it's going to bless them that he can raise him. Right. And so there's all this intentionality in that miracle. There's all sorts of miracles within that miracle. Mm-hmm. But I think the Lazarus, uh, mm. the raising of Lazarus is probably my Yeah, I kind of feel like to. you juked me because you just went straight to resurrection. Yeah. That, well, not resurrection, resuscitation. Resuscitation, yeah. yeah. I mean, temporary. Yeah, Lazarus was probably killed by the Pharisees like probably. three weeks later. So, But to be twice dead, yeah. it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Well, I don't know if well, I'd call that awesome. I mean, if you can get that in this life. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty exceptional. No, that's a that's a great point. And speaking of which, to kind of tie that all together, I've heard some people say that, well, the reason why Jesus wept there is because I think they try, they think about it too much. So like the reason why he, he wept is because he knew he was going to have to bring back Lazarus just temporarily. temporarily. Yeah. And I think he was just sad. Like he, yeah. he loved his friends. And I, I can't obviously speak to like the complexities of what was going through Jesus' mind there. I have no idea. Like we just talked about, but the bottom line is it's sad when people die. It's a yeah. horrible thing and we're not made for death. So we feel it very strongly. Yeah. And I just like that he cried. Well, in this, the Lazarus account to bring it back to our topic, the Lazarus account is the most explicit instance of what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. He goes up to the tomb and he doesn't say, Lazarus, I am the divine son of God and on my own authority and power come forth. He stops and he prays. He says, Father, I know you hear all my prayers and you will give me anything that I ask. And I'm praying this for the benefit of the people around me. Right. Um, And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. So it's not it's not Christ acting on his own authority and power. Mm -hmm. It's him acting on the authority of the father. Right. And asking the father to bring uh, Lazarus back. 
So there's some volition there clearly on Christ's part. But like we were saying, it's not just a condescension. It's an actual limitation. Right. I mean, he's subjecting himself or not even himself, like you said before. It's the the, the hard drive thing is pretty good. That, that's Yeah. It, it'll, it'll fail pretty bad. <laughs> It'll fall apart pretty. It fell apart but in the midst of me using it. But, but I mean, it, it, this, the problem is we don't have good language to really encapsulate yeah. this. So we just have like bits and pieces and we take exactly. these various comparisons and metaphors and some of it falls within scope and some of it falls without. But it is this idea that there was like an actual limitation there. Right. That emptying. We don't need to get into kenosis. But I mean, the yeah. sense of of that, uh, again, Jesus is for real human. Right. For real. And even the miracles demonstrate that, I think is kind of what you're saying to that point. Yeah. Well, and, and I remember, I, I think I've referenced the sermon before. I remember a very simple Easter sermon that, um, focused on the fact that the phrase is not, he raised himself, Yes, but instead is he is risen. And so we see in the, you know, Christ has the ability to put him, you know, lay down his life and take it back up. So we're not denying that. Um, but at the same time, the agency of who raised Christ from the dead is attributed to the Father and to the Spirit. Yes. And so we have to acknowledge that on some level, Christ as a human didn't have the ability to raise himself. Yes, because exactly. Who has the ability to raise themselves from the dead? Nobody. Exactly. No human can do that. Thank you for answering that. And, right. It's a rhetorical question and then a rhetor- I guess a rhetorical answer. <laughs> but so even then, the Spirit... Even though Christ is really clear, he has the ability to put lay his life down and he has the ability to take it back up. Later in scripture, it's still said to be the spirit yes. and, and the father who did that. Yes. Now we know that, you know, all of the external works of the Trinity are indivisible. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so the son was not inactive. The son, according to divinity, was not inactive in the raising of himself, according to humanity. Um, so, yes, the son acted on himself but in a, a way that is not violating his genuine human limitations. Yes. Mystery card. Mystery card. Again, yeah. So one, all, once again, all of the training involved in the, all the acts of right. God. But second, that's why Paul, almost anywhere you read Paul, he's very specific with his language and he's referencing the spirit. Right. And I think to my embarrassment, I often thought that he was just looking for synonyms. He was like, well, I've talked about God right. a couple of times in this sentence. So I'm just going to say like, by the power of the spirit. Right. But that is actually like a real reference. Yeah. It's a real blessed reference. So it provides us with enough encouragement to say, yes, God himself, by his great mercy, resides within us. And there is some power, though the connection is, I hate using connection, but it's incomplete. It is not as it should be in its fullness or in its efficacy. But at the same time, that means that we should not, like you said, blow that up into kind of a cultish status, which I'd agree with. By saying, I can do anything that Jesus could do, but better. That's not right. what he means when he's like, you're going to do greater things right. than this. Yeah. And and the other element of this, too, is that this isn't just a casual reader's problem. So um, I don't want to pick on my Lutheran brothers, oh, but I'm, I'm going to pick on them a little bit. Is that when they go to try to explain how Christ can be present in every, every Eucharist right. celebration in the right. world, they do exactly this. Well... He's God, so he can turn on, he can make his body omnipresent or ubiquitous. I don't know the difference, but he can make his body ubiquitous. Well, I guess he could. I mean, God could make me ubiquitous. Right, he can. But basically what they do is, well, Jesus just turns on his superpowers. Right. Does that violate that? Right, exactly. Or how, how did Jesus, 
How did Jesus walk into a locked room when, when the disciples were gathered? Well, he turned on his superpowers. Right. Well, I don't want to go John Calvin's route and say, well, he had to have climbed in the window or the Holy Spirit moved. Wait, is that what Calvin says? He says in one place that he climbed in the window. And then I think he says in another <laughs> place that the Holy Spirit like moved the wall out of the way. Okay. So, but uh, that second thing is probably closer yeah, to reality. To, to the first, right? Is that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit could enable me to walk through a wall. Yep. So why would we be surprised that the Holy Spirit enables Jesus to walk through a wall? Right. But the difference is that it's the Holy Spirit enabling Jesus to walk through a wall. Yes. Because something not all that different happens with Philip after he baptizes the yes, Ethiopian eunuch. exactly. He seems to have teleported somewhere. Exactly. Well, if the Ethiopian, or if Philip can teleport, why can't Jesus teleport? Right. If the Holy Spirit is the one doing it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's good to remember that all this stuff has happened before, with the exception, like right. said, of like the healing of the blind. Um, which is probably its own podcast. Yeah. But I think that's really helpful and instructive. And maybe the better question to ask is when I think this way, when I, even like if you're reading this in your time of like personal, 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 personal that was my Sean Connery <laughs> version of, even if you're reading in such a way during your personal time meditation, maybe the best question to ask is, am I at any part violating either Jesus as God or Jesus as human? Right. And if we are, then we should just stop and think, what do I do with that? Yeah. Where, where do I need to go? Well, and, and I don't, I can't say that it's wrong to pray to Jesus or wrong to pray to the spirit, but by and large, the new Testament pattern is to pray to the father. Yes. Um, and, and I think that probably has some, not, it has, I know that it has to do with Christ's role as mediator, but his role as mediator is tied up in his full humanity. Yes, exactly. So it, we pray to the father in part, I would say, because we, we should be cautious of praying to a human. Mm-hmm. And there are all sorts of parts of Christendom. Christendom isn't really a thing anymore, but all parts of Christianity that unhealthily adore Christ's body. Right. Right. So the right. Catholic Eucharist, they spend time staring at a piece of bread and a cup of wine and worshiping because they think that that has somehow been transubstantiated. Substantiated? <laughs> transubstantiated well done into Christ's body I mean his whole divinity is present too but they are worshiping Christ's body almost in abstract in some senses yeah. and so the the idea that we pray to the father um, in the name of the son and through the power of the spirit is a safeguard for us to avoid um, like you said violating Christ's humanity by mm-hmm. treating it as though it was divine right and I think we've talked about that before but that's just a good practice in your prayer life right. to get into that rhythm can I just say kind of maybe partially in closing, but also because I just found this funny and you just referenced the whole Catholic faith kind of writ large, is that uh, my wife was recently reading a Facebook post from a Catholic and this post posed the question, how long is the body of Christ, the body of Christ in your stomach? And the answer was 15 minutes. Yeah. She thought this was actually a joke, but I said, no, this is where you have to go. You have to answer those kind of questions. Yeah. When you start, so talk about like starting with like one degree of error and then ending up having to answer, well, how long in my digestive tract does Jesus remain Jesus before he's no longer Jesus? Well, they just released a statement. The Vatican just released a statement that you can't use gluten-free bread. I saw that. Because it's not in part because it's not actually bread and the priest can't transform non-bread into Jesus. Which is wild, right? I mean, well, this just on a shows, lot of levels. Yeah, yeah, this just shows like how crazy it can right. become. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we're just saying, like, if you don't, if you don't want to eat gluten, like, don't eat don't gluten. Eat gluten. Yeah, yeah, it's no, I'm fine with it. And if you it? if you don't want to drink wine in communion, then grape juice is just fine. Less and tanner. <laughs> oh, wow. Just kidding. I love you guys. <laughs> just straight called out. So if anybody else would like to call us out, Tony. <laughs> That's my segue. What are ways they could get in touch with us? Because oh, man, you're going to make me do all the contact information just live. straight off the top of oh, your head. Man. And partially because it is starting to get wicked hot it in this is, room. It is wicked hot in here. I, I do Sunday school in here every single week. And it's this hot every week, even in the winter. But are you sitting this close to somebody else? I, the chairs are not that much closer. I guess, than, I guess that's pretty sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you can call us at 607-444-444. Bros. I don't know the number. 2767. Bros. Let's. <laughs> you can also tweet at us uh, at Reform Brohood. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. And we are uh, absolutely thrilled to be part of the Society of Reform Podcasters. That's right. Which you can find at reformpodcasts.com. Uh, don't go to reformpodcast.com because it's not us. Bad news and not us. Um, it's not anything terrible if you really feel like you need to check it out. It's just not what you were looking for. Um, don't tell us uh, or don't tell them you we sent them. Yeah, don't tell them that we sent them. <laughs> and uh, you can also, uh, and we would really appreciate it if you would go check out uh, our feed on iTunes. Uh, subscribe if you're not subscribed. Somehow you're listening to this and you're not subscribed. We would love it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That does, I know everybody says it, but it really does help people find the show. Um, It helps us spread the gospel through our podcast um, in ways that we aren't able to otherwise. And uh, it helps you to make us feel great about ourselves. That is true, and we love that. Yes. So now I'm like super nervous because we're about to end the show, and I always get this part wrong. Well, let me before we end it, let me say this. One of the things that's so helpful is that if you have a second to reach out to us, because a lot of times the topics that we choose are something that Tony and I are thinking through. And sometimes maybe that's helpful. We hope that is a blessing and a challenge and encouragement to others. But I'm certain that there's people that are just thinking through some other things that we've not even thought about. And yeah. we would love to just kind of jump into the conversation with somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And th- I mean, the show's called Reform Brotherhood, mostly because Jesse and I are brothers by marriage. But um, what's up? But uh, the idea behind the show is that we're trying to foster this Christian fellowship yes. on the internet, and that really only works if you guys interact with us. So Jesse and I love doing the podcast. I think we probably would do it even if no one was listening to That's it. That's for sure. Um, but we would love to do it more when other people are listening to it and we can help you or we can just talk through stuff and you can help us yeah, as exactly. we process through things we haven't thought about. Before. Exactly. Honestly, sometimes we do the podcast without it recording. Like before we came over here, we were talking for a while yeah. about all kinds of stuff. We were. And we said, we said, we should basically just record this. You've like channeled the spirit of Sean Connery. <laughs> he, he's not even dead. <laughs> it's his living spirit. Uh, well, okay. So here's the big close. Oh, you ready, man. Tony? I don't know. I don't think I Which am. part do you want? Second part I'll do part. the one that I always get wrong. Okay. So we have had a blast, in case you can't tell. Uh, we've loved doing a live episode, even yeah, though it's probably it's a little more scatterbrained than usual. And uh, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Nailed it. Uh, what if I'm far from-